This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in the restaurant world and a restaurant you may want to check out. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's a former commercial real estate developer and a marketing expert. Monica Dano, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, City Cellars HTX, a restaurant and wine bar, has revealed its new home will be in East River. That is to say the massive new development going up along Buffalo Bayou in Fifth Ward. Previously, they had been in the museum district with Barnaby's and Fadi's in the Park Bins building right near the uh, Children's Museum. Monica, the move brings a number of advantages for City Cellars and its owner, Daniel Wolf. Most importantly, it's about 5,000 square feet, whereas the original location was uh, almost exactly two. And it comes with a big patio. And so there's room to, they're sort of teasing that maybe they'll do some sort of speakeasy concept within it. Mm. But, you know, bigger menu probably and... Yep. More cocktails, you know, more more space means more everything. So let me just let me just get your thoughts. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you never made it to City Cellars at its original location in, in the museum district. That's a that's a good limb, Eric. You know me too well. I did not make it. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I lived in the museum district for about six years. I don't know, about a decade ago. That that area has always intrigued me, even when I lived there. Uh, my office was there. I worked for St. Luke's Hospital. And we had our development office there and I lived a couple blocks away and interesting area still. Um, you know, I think the, the restaurant and retail that's come in there over the past 10 to 15 years, maybe has struggled a bit to find an audience, um, which kind of always baffled me. There's lots of residents over there. They're on the light rail. They're in between kind of that medical center, um, midtown area. So as a putting my urban developer hat on, it's, it's kind of intrigued me why more things have haven't taken off over there. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting neighborhood in that, you know, you always talk about rooftops. And, and so it, it has that kind of residential quality, but also you draw from so many people in the in the medical center, uh, museum district visitors. It's 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 got kind of an, an intriguing mix, but but relatively little sort of commercial space. Right. Like Lucille's right. has done very well there. MF Sushi has has established an identity. Uh, we've talked about, you know, some of the other stuff that's that's going on over there. But, you know, city sellers and the landlord kind of got in a snit and decided to to go their separate ways. Um, yeah. But it, it did it did establish a, a, a presence there, especially for Sunday brunch. Yeah. And I actually lived over there when Lucille's opened. And I'll tell you, everyone in the neighborhood was so excited to get kind of a quality uh, restaurant space, which obviously they've 
figured that out over there. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, lots of daytime, you know, I think that with the office buildings and some of the medical uh, buildings over there, that, that, you know, Bodega obviously has, has done well over the years there, but you know, I think for kind of a nighttime during the week, maybe it's a date night on the weekend thing, but I think it's probably been hard for operators to figure that demographic out. Right. But certainly for Daniel and, and city sellers, they're, they're looking at East river now. And, and, you know, what do you think? I mean, this is, this is like a generational mm. kind of project going up along Buffalo Bayou. We haven't, we haven't talked about it very much because there hasn't been a lot of restaurant activity there. You know, Johnny Rhodes, who was it, who opened Indigo and, and did very well there, is bringing Broham, his his grocery concept there, and Lick Ice Cream is coming there eventually. Uh, but but we haven't really, you know, we we on the show haven't talked about it very much. But it does represent a a multi billion dollar, I suppose, bet by one of the city's most prominent uh, real estate development firms that 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 neighborhood has a lot of potential. Yeah. And I'll tell you again, talking from a real estate perspective, when I first heard about East River, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but when I was developing real estate, um, you know, we were, we were a little skeptical of the East End of Houston, like you said, because of the rooftops, um, even the proximity to downtown. Um, But I'll tell you what, I've been very impressed with that leasing team. I've got to know them pretty well um, as we kind of toured the space and, and looked at it for other concepts but they've done a hell of a job attracting some really great national level, you know, even statewide level um, concepts over there. Uh, obviously, I've been to um, the pickleball courts and uh, the golf course over there. And, you know, I think it's interesting for city sellers to move from kind of a, an unknown, weird market to another, <laughs> Uh, which, which I'm, 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 I'm excited to see that develop. Like you said, the restaurants is what I really think is going to bring um, some life over there. But it's a beautiful space. Um, certainly, the density of that's increasing around there with more high rises, mid rises, um, you know, single family homes that are coming up over there. Obviously, the the population of downtown, even the workers coming back to work um, from COVID downtown. I think they're really counting on that sort of population. It's also a destination. I think, you know, if you're going to build sort of an out of the way um, real estate project like that, you got to make sure it's really cool. Right. And it, and it will attract destination diners and, and retail uh, patrons. And, um, and I think they've done a good job at that. So I'm excited. I think that um, that's a good, good mix. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah. it's such a funny way to describe a development that's what maybe two or three miles <laughs> east of the middle of downtown, yeah. as, you know, out, out of, of the, the way, yeah. uh, which just goes to show sort of how off the radar it is for, for most people that if you, if you never had a reason to go, you know, down Jensen drive or, or some of these other corridors, you know, navigation past Needfas or, or any of these other kind of areas that that it does feel a little foreign but anyone who's been to the new potato for example which is which is basically right across from where all this is going up you know that it's really it's very close and it's yeah. very easy to get to and and I think people will be astonished by by how close it is I I mean I I've been sort of speculating that and I, I've said this to uh real estate professionals it's like they need they need like a national draw 
like the names that I keep kind of throwing out to people are like Italy, Din Tai Fung, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bouchon Bakery, you know, Thomas Keller's Bakery, something like that, like something, you know, you talk about a destination, something that would sort of capture people's attention, be completely unique to Houston, right? No, nowhere else in Houston. And then, of course, you know, for the neighborhood, like a grocery store, right? Like Midway's Midway's partnered with HEB in a couple of developments. They need to figure that out, too. But uh, yeah, no, you know, and I think we've talked about this before, this kind of like invisible kind of 59 on the east side barrier. I think we were talking about the rustic. And it, it is it's like in our minds as Houstonians or native Houstonians and all like us, it's just kind of this black hole in your head, you know, and I think people like. St. Arnold's, right? When St. Arnold's opened, everyone was like, what? Where? This is in the middle of nowhere, right? And they've kind of helped teach because of the volume that they do, especially with the the brew pub when that opened, because of that volume and moving people through. By the way, congrats to St. Arnold for their their big award a couple weeks ago. Um, And I think they've really trained the city. Like, it's okay to go north of of 10 on downtown. It's okay to go east of 59 downtown, right? And and I think more of those concepts, more on the southeast side of downtown, um, have also helped to kind of do that. And, 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 And it seems like that East River is kind of bridging that gap between kind of that north downtown St. Arnold's to, to everything, to Nymphas, right, Harrisburg. So I think it's well-timed. You know, I think Houston's growing, obviously, east, and there's not a lot of places to grow west, right? So you see this kind of east movement growing in momentum. Even in the last two to three years, I think I've probably changed my tune on, you know, the east east downtown. Um, so I'm excited to see how they do. I mean, you're right. I mean, having some of those, they have a killer leasing team over there. Lacey Jacobs does an amazing job. And I think they really have the power with Midway to, to draw those, those national and statewide, um, restaurants and retailers. So, um, I think they're primed to over the next couple of years, really be a destination and consider downtown, you know, at what point are we going to consider, uh, you know, a half a mile across 59 downtown? I think we're close. Right. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to er- erase the identity of Fifth Ward because it is such an important neighborhood historically and any more than I want, I want people to start calling Third Ward Midtown, right? Like I want, right, I right. want Third Ward to be Third Ward. I want Midtown to be Midtown. I want downtown to be downtown and I want fifth ward to be, you know, even the difference between fifth ward north of the bayou and second ward south of the bayou, right? Yeah. Like, you know, as you said, as we are both native Houstonians, we both have some sense of this city's history. I want to preserve that. But I do want people who, for whatever reason, have just never ventured, like go north on Jensen, take a ride on Clinton. It won't yeah. take you very long. You know, if you're if you're used to driving to Nifas on navigation, going that that much farther to, to Clinton Drive, or like you said, if you're used to going to St. Arnold, going a little farther east is not is not it's not gonna like completely reset your boundaries, but it, it will, you know, you, you do just kind of realize that there's so much of the city that even even quote unquote inner loop that hasn't really been touched by development and is kind of ripe for rethinking. And so I think it's really smart of city sellers to get on board with something like that and be a part of it. And, you know, they had a a, a substantial following in the black community for their Sunday brunches. And so I think if that kind of third ward museum district crowd, you know, if they can draw them north, great. 
And if not, you know, hopefully their reputation will will precede them within that community and the, and they'll find uh, new adherents, new new fans in Fifth Ward. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm excited. I'm excited about that development. I'm excited to see them open. Do they have a timeline? Late late quarter one, early quarter two. Okay. So cool. it won't be it won't be too much longer before we're we're checking out the new city centers. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Speaking of East of 59, Agricole Hospitality has unveiled Lightning's Good Times, its new cocktail bar that is a replacement for Miss Carousel in Edo, uh, part of that big development on San Emanuel Street. Monica, this is this is kind of an interesting one in the sense that, uh, to a certain extent, the, the Agricole guys who own 8-Row Flint and Cultivare like took a look at Easy's Liquor Lounge, their kind of retro dive bar inspired bar in the Heights and, and took some of that inspiration and applied it to Miss Carousel to create lightning's good times, right? It has pool tables. It has dart boards. It has shuffleboard. It has vintage neon signs and advertisements. Uh, they've added a bunch of TVs. So if people want to watch a game, they put in a stage for live music, you know, Miss Carousel had this, this sort of mid-century modern kind of highbrow hotel mm-hmm. lounge kind of vibe yeah. that that maybe especially kind of post-pandemic wasn't really a fit for the neighborhood and they they sort of acknowledge that by rebooting it uh so what do you think about lightning's good times as, as a better fit for Edo? you know i do think it's a better fit uh we've talked about this in the past about soccer games and baseball games, a lot of kind of a sports hub that East downtown's becoming kind of before or after the game, where we're going to grab a drink. I think that this concept suits that much better, obviously, than 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 Miss Carousel, as beautiful as it was. Um, you know, I really tip my hat to um, operators who give something a go and then sort of are able to adapt to um, what the neighborhood calls for. You know, we talk about this a lot, kind of developing for the neighborhood and, and not expecting the destinations. You'll get some of that. But when you're when you're building a concept like this, I mean, you've got to pay attention to demand. I mean, the neighborhood will tell you. Right. And I think that's exactly what they're doing with, you know, both locations is uh, they've, they've watched this neighborhood grow over the past, you know, five to six years, especially kind of a post-pandemic crowd, I think is nostalgic for a Lone Star and a shot of Jack, you know? I mean, I think that's what we've learned from Easy's, right? It's, we don't have to be fancy and cocktails and, and there's a place for that, obviously in Houston, but majority of time people just want to go and belly up and grab a beer and, and I think the busiest I've seen Easy's is uh, noon on a Sunday. You know, it's like weather's nice, big patio, don't have to spend 80 bucks on a bar tab. Um, so I think that this concept, you know, hits on that before the game, after the game. Um, some foot traffic would would do really well for them. No, I, I think that's all well said. And, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, it's easy to look at the success of the Rustic, which is, you know, just across the freeway. And think like, oh, you know, we can do our version of that. You know, a place that people can go before after the game, before after a concert at Toyota Center, get a beer, get a drink. This is much less food focused than the Rustic. The Rustic has a full kitchen and a, and a big menu. But they have they have Vinny's next door to, to supply pizza. They will have the Tex-Mex place that's coming soon. Still, still unnamed, 
that will presumably there'll be some, you know, cross-pollination there with, I don't know, nachos or quesadillas or tacos or something, right? So, you know, they'll be able to feed people and it's just going to be kind of fun and casual and, you know, not to, not to, <laughs> not to lean on the word too much, but easy, right? <laughs> and so yeah. I, I think, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it, it reflects the way that people use Edo. Yep. And this is, this is not far from where I live. So I, I like the idea of having a casual come as you are place where I, I know that I can go for a good cocktail and they're priced affordably. They're, they're in that, that mythical, you know, nine to $12 range that, that we've been talking about on the show recently, we don't see as much of anymore. Mm-hmm. So if I can get a great $10 margarita and, and just hang out and maybe shoot some pool or, or shoot the shit. Great. Yeah. Like that's all, that's all I need. Well, you know, it's interesting as you were saying that I was thinking of you know, some of these more remote kind of East end and Northeast end bars that have started doing this over the years, little Danny's and monkey's tail. And, um, you know, that's basically what they are. Right. And it's like now the bigger operators are paying attention and doing that just closer in where the real estate's more expensive. Right. So you have these bar groups that kind of go on the outskirts, you know, I like to call it the Bradmore special. Um, you kind of go into these neighborhoods where it's cheap real estate. You don't have to serve expensive drinks. Uh, there's a big margin on a $2, you know, Lone Star. And it's, it's interesting to see now that more polished operators are kind of trying to do the same thing um, just a little bit closer in. So um, it's an interesting trend to watch. Absolutely. All right. And then let's move on to topic number three. I want to talk to you just briefly about the Cursed Cauldron. This is a pop-up bar that is occupying Ninja Ramen through Halloween. It comes to us from Alexis Majaris, who we know from her time at Julep and her business partner, Angelique Cook-Cavazos. You know, it's it's kind of a fun concept, right? Because it's a witchy Halloween-themed takeover uh, with a with a separate cocktail menu and and they painted the walls and it's decorated and there's crafts you can buy and and Chris Wong like tweaked the menu a little bit to so that there's still obviously there's still ramen but it's it's spooky ramen or whatever they're doing <laughs> uh, so you know I I was thinking about this more in the context of you know like these uh, Christmas themed pop up yeah, bars I was just thinking the, that. the Miracle Bar or yeah. Uh, sipping, you know, sipping Santa or whatever it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. What do what do you think about this trend of of these taking taking the idea of the holiday theme pop up bar and applying it to Halloween? You know, people fucking love Halloween, <laughs> and <laughs> not that I don't fucking love Halloween, but I feel like there's this trend in the past decade that like Halloween is the best day of the year. Maybe people are just burnt out from Christmas, but I feel like every year Halloween grows in popularity for whatever reason. And I mean, don't get me wrong. October is the best month of the entire year in Texas, not just because it's my birthday month, but right, hashtag Libra season. <laughs> Libra season. Um, I mean, I'm here for it. I love the Christmas pop-ups, the, all the holiday pop-ups. It's just a fun time of year. It's the end of the year. People don't want to work anymore. And I feel like Halloween has become this like official beginning of that season, right? Before it was Thanksgiving. And now it's like, nope, we're going to start in October. (laughs) Um, So I love it. You know, I I remember seeing, I think the publicist sent it to me too. And I was like, this looks really cool. 
Um, you know, I think it's fun. I think a lot of these pop-ups are fun. People like to do something a little bit different. It gives someone a reason to maybe go somewhere that maybe they hadn't been to Ninja Ramen. And this looks really fun. So let's check this out. So I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all well said. I think, you know, I think, I think Two-Headed Dog is doing something similar. I think, you know, I should get a, should get some information about that here pretty soon. But yeah, I think, I think this is fun. I think, you know, everybody talks about spooky season and and fall vibes and, you know, Lord knows. I mean, the whole city's focused on the Astros, but, <laughs> you know, for the, for the minority of people who are not, are not staying home watching baseball, you know, get dressed up, go out, you know, go out with your friends. I, I think, I think this is a ton of fun and I'm, I'm glad it's happening. I mean, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like Halloween is just every year growing in popularity or is that just. No, no, I, I, I think that's perception. right. I think, I think. You know, when we were growing up, right, in the the eighties and the nineties, I, I don't really think that Halloween was a thing for adults. Like, I don't remember my parents going out for Halloween parties, but but now, you know, Lagroya hosts a very famous Halloween party. Brasserie Nineteen has a famous Halloween party. I think uh, Ben Berg's places do Halloween parties. It's just become so much bigger. You know, yes. I think people people our age don't. You know, they still like to have fun, right? They they they're responsible parents and all that. And they, they take that aspect of their lives very seriously, but they still, they still want to cut loose. They haven't, they haven't completely given that up. So that there are bars that are trying to capture that. And and even for people who are younger than us, right. Millennials and, and Gen Z types that don't have children and don't have those responsibilities. Like they're definitely going out, right. They're, they're making a, a whole party out of Halloween. So I think, I think bars that sort of cater to that. I think that's just, I think it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and and how much, what percentage of this do we have stranger things to blame? Like 80? <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, definitely. Stranger, stranger things, uh, Wednesday, right. On Netflix. Right. Uh, it's like this Halloween some of that gothy vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely a major part of it. I love it. I love it. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to try it out. We should go. We should. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Monica, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Noragami. This is the new sushi hand roll concept that just opened up on Bissonette, kind of in that Westview Rice Village kind of ballpark. It comes to us from the owner of Hidden Omakase and Sushi by Hidden. So that's a team we know well. Let me just throw it to you. I mean, what did you think about our meal at Noragami? I loved our meal at Noragami. You know, one of the longer concepts we've been waiting on to open, um, again, from a real estate perspective, have followed these guys' troubles with permitting and construction. And for, I mean, going on two and a half years now, I, I think at one point they had signed the lease for Noragami. And since in that time they signed the lease, they actually found the hidden by and and it actually built it out and then opened in that time. And that was still what months ago. So a congrats to them for finally getting that open. But um I really loved our meal there. You and I had a meal um at Hidden Amakase. Gosh, was that last year? It was a Noragami pop-up. So that was the last time I had had it. 
Um, and I was excited to come try it in its new space. And what a beautiful space it was. And, and I know we'll get into the food, but man, I was blown away by the bar next door. You know, we went and had a drink there afterwards and what an incredible space, you know, I, not to dismiss the food at Norgami, it was great, but cool experience next door. Yeah, no, I, I think they're calling it hidden bar, right? That's what they're, yeah. that's what they're calling it. And, and it is, it's a little bit of that uh, passive provisions vibe where to, to get from provisions to the past, you had to, you had to go through a wall that, that was really a door. And it's that same thing with, with Noragami at hidden bar. There's a, there's a wall and you, you push on it and, and the door opens and then you're in, you're in hidden bar. And, and, you know, there, there aren't that many cocktail bars in that West U rice village kind of area. And so I think just having that as an after work destination for happy hours or even after dinner for kind of a, a drink after, you know, a meal in that area, uh, you know, even if you're going to like, you know, Navy blue or a tour or, or some of these other, uh, Hamsa, you know, some of these places we've been talking about mm-hmm. uh, recently, you know, being able to go to Hidden Bar after for a drink sounds like a good kind of second stop for me. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, you yeah, know, I, no, I, I liked... not quite on the not quite on the the marquee two spectrum of bars, which we would be remiss to not um, mention. I mean, seriously, if you're if you're trying to describe where not Norgami is, if you don't say marquee two, then you're not from Houston, right? It's next door. <laughs> um, you have to mention that, right? What, what a cool, what a cool Houston diverse strip right there, right? With with marquee two and Norgami and Hidden, but no, I agree. I think. Um, you know, obviously you've got Rice Village right there. You've got West U, but um, yeah, really cool, little easily accessible. I think also, again, from a real estate perspective, when I think about going to dinner in Rice Village, there almost is this like mental block of like, I got to park and I got to find a street and I got, I live in the, I live in the Heights area. So it's like, it feels overwhelming, but knowing where Norgami is and knowing there's, it's in a strip center right on Bissonette, it felt more like, oh yeah, I'll be in and out. Um, so that kind of perception of a good dinner, a great bar that you don't have to kind of get into the guts of Rice Village. To, right, to right. It has it. Right. It's a strip center. So it has easy parking. It's on a main street. It's pretty close to the freeway. It's right off of Kirby. So, yes, for all of those reasons, it's just it's a little simpler. And not that there isn't just a ton of sushi. Sure. You know, up and down Kirby on either side of 59. But I I do like the handrail concept. You know, I like, you know, mostly what I like is how quick it is, right? I mean, we had we had two crudos and five handrolls in about 30 minutes. Yeah. No. And so yeah. it it's not it's not your whole evening. It's not designed to be. It's it's a stop on your way, either, you know, to drinks at hidden, or you could do like a couple of hand rolls and then go see a movie or something and then go to dinner afterwards. I mean, it, it it's it's very flexible in that sense. Yeah. And I, I, you know, handrolls get me every time you think, oh, it's a light dinner, you know, or, but man, I mean, we were what five, five rolls in or, and I was like, I need to take a little break. And it, it does happen so fast. You know, I tend to be a faster eater. I'm kind of impatient eater. So yeah, I mean, sitting down and, and ordering in within, you know, two minutes food showing up, that's hard to beat. And it's delicious. You know, I mean, I think we, uh, kind of asked for some suggestions and they brought out a couple of things that they suggested. Everything was great. 
Um, but I agree with you. I think thinking of the hand roll concept as something that's fast and quick um, definitely draws me to those sort of concepts. Yeah. And, you know, we had a, you know, we did their, their norigasm, uh, spicy salmon, hamachi toro, spicy scallop and uh, Connie, I think crab. And certainly anyone who's been to Handy's Dozo or to Hondo, you know, understands kind of what these hand roll concepts are like. You sit around a counter, uh, they bring them to you one at a time, but essentially, you know, it, it, the time, the time passes really quickly, right? Like they'd, they'd put one in front of us. I'd, you know, sort of drag it in the light to figure out how to get a, a decent picture of it. Uh, and then it, and almost immediately it would be the next hand roll would be presented. So it, it happens, it happens really quickly. Yeah. And it, and you can rack it up, you know, this is not an inexpensive, you, like you said, pre-dinner place, right? Um, I mean, notably so this is very high quality fish um, ingredients are all high quality. Um, but, but the time at which you eat and finish, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, it was, it was delicious. I think, um, yeah, I feel so basic to say, but the spicy salmon hand roll was my favorite one. Um, I know you had a different favorite, but even the, the hamachi crudo they brought out, this is the one we had with the truffle on it. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that was delicious. That probably, I mean, I won't count it as a hand roll, but probably one of my favorite bites of the evening was that. Yeah, I mean, I liked the crab. Uh, I liked how kind of sweet it was, and it comes with the, the fried leeks for a little crunch and that uh, yuzu mayo that that brightens it up a little bit. I, th- I thought that was really tasty. Uh, I agree with you about the hamachi crudo. I mean, I'm a sucker for kind of yellowtail anything at this point. And then, you know, I, I splurged, right? They they said, you know, do you want one more? And I got the menage foie gras, which is uni, toro, wagyu, foie gras, caviar, and, and gold flakes. Uh, <laughs> and and it's so, it's just, you know, it's so decadent, right? Between the the fattiness of the wagyu and the and the richness of the foie, it's, it's a very decadent, buy it and and you know 26 bucks for a hand roll is probably pushing the limits of what anyone should spend on a hand roll but, <laughs> um but it but it's so many different flavors kind of coming at you as you you know one by two by three by you know you sort of finish the thing it's i really enjoyed it and and i like i you know we haven't really talked about the, the design but i I like how pretty it is in there, right? It's it's dimly oh, lit. Bathroom it's, it's, was beautiful, right? Yeah. It's that kind of, you know, that this trendy like make your bathroom the most beautiful place in the restaurant recently. <laughs> a beautiful bathroom, but you're right. I mean, it, lighting was just right, and they've gotten that right. You know, they've got several concepts that they've got that down. Not exactly who actually the designer of the bar. I think was sitting next to us. I think I mentioned that to you when we were over at the bar um, with the beautiful um, paper cranes all over the the ceiling, which. I think we we had a debate on how they actually did that. That was purchased that way, or they had, you know, several interns uh, folding uh, paper cranes. But um, no, I agree. Beautiful space. Yeah, I can just I can just imagine, you know, every every cook uh, every cook every server come in for training day one. It's like, okay, here you go. You've got uh, everybody's got to fold twenty cranes before you can leave today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how the would be, but. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking I'm I'm a big kind of, you know, um, family meal kind of person, right? Let's order a bunch of food. Let's have a couple of bites. You know, Harold's just scratches that itch, you know, where it's gone with the days of you have 
you order your one meal and every single bite you take is the same flavor, right? With hand rolls, you really have an opportunity to get entirely different bites of food within one meal. You know, I think that's really what excites me about that type of cuisine is you don't have to decide on one dish, um, lots of different bites. I mean, I was even full before you got to your last roll, right? So I didn't get a bite of that, but definitely want to go back for that. Well, I wasn't planning to share, so that worked out just fine. <laughs> it worked out. All right. So as you said, you'll go back. Uh, yes, I will go back. I'm probably in the next couple of weeks. I've had several people while I was there, you know, we when we dine together, sometimes we're sharing stuff on Instagram and I, I kind of judge the, the, the buzz on how often people ask me, where's that? Where, you know? Uh, and so I got a lot of questions and so I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of dates to, uh, to, to, to Noragami in my future. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely with you. I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to my next meal and I'm, I'm glad we got to try it. And yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, really enjoyed it. Me too. All right, Monica, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Join me Thursday when my guest will be Andrew Smith of Safety Fund. Mm-hmm.